The Evolved Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Adam Greenwood, CEO of Greenwood Campbell, a leading digital agency. Adam is passionate about emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, augmented reality, and virtual reality, and believes they can change the lives of their users and the brands they interact with in positive ways. Technology has now become a seamless part of our lives. For many of us, the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is switch on our smartphone and check our social feeds. Tech has made our lives easier and in many ways better, but there always has been this trepidation about how far we let it into our lives and how much we allow it to control us. I recently watched the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, and was shocked to see how the big tech companies are harvesting and using our data to manipulate our decisions from what we buy to who we vote for. At the same time, technology offers so much that is positive, whether in the spheres of medicine, mental health, physical well-being, and even alleviating loneliness, technology has proven to be a powerful tool and even a human ally. It's largely these aspects of technology that Adam and I talk about today, and there are some great philosophical discussions about the future of technology and our own lives. In this podcast, Adam explains what an echo chamber is and why it can be a dangerous place. But what we're finding now is these um, sort of social media and digital echo chambers where all you're seeing is, the, is your same opinion just kind of bounce back at you. And that just kind of makes you sort of entrench your own opinions more. Contemplates the complexities of potentially building a relationship with a device. These devices that are constantly listening, they could know us better than we know ourselves, so they could become our best friends. And talks about the challenges of regulating the big tech companies. It's not in YouTube's interest to fix an algorithm that gets people to spend more and more time on their platform, even if it means that they are watching you know, content which is really, you know, really bad. If you want to know more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, Adam, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the podcast. And we should probably just kick off with um, you telling our listeners a little bit more about your agency, Greenwood Campbell, and why you've got such an interest and passion for AI. So I founded the agency in 2009, and we were a kind of fairly standard digital agency building websites and apps for sort of seven or eight years. And then around 2017, I noticed a... Um, Definitely started to see less interest and a bit of a commoditization in what we were doing. So I wanted to try and differentiate us from our competition. So I went and spent some time in Silicon Valley. Okay. Uh, that must have been really interesting. It was really interesting. And all I did, I mean, it wasn't the best preparation for it. I went on a stag do to Vegas <laughs> and then just flew on to San Francisco afterwards. Um, so, so it was your recovery trip, yeah, was it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, sort of a few weeks on my own, kind of going to conferences, going to Stanford University and Facebook and IBM and all these different um, organizations and learning about everything from autonomous vehicles to machine learning to AI and voice um, conversational interface 
And I just started to get really, really interested and excited about the emerging technologies that were and are shaping the world. Wow. And then reshaped the agency accordingly. Absolutely. Made a big, big change to to how we spoke about uh, our services and the services we delivered. And, and it's definitely differentiated us amongst our competition because I don't know any other agencies really that talk um, with such passion about AI and about voice and about uh, all these other technologies that are out there. Brilliant. So let's just kick off again in a bit more straightforward kind of question. In its simplest form, what really is AI? Oh, that's not that straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, AI is, is effectively computer algorithms that can learn from behaviors and then make automated decisions based on that behavior. Okay. So, I mean, we see there's, there's for example, a good easy example, I suppose, would be something like a traffic light that learned from um, where the cars were coming from at different times of day, different weather conditions and everything else, and then calculated the optimum times that the light should be red or green. Right. Perfect. That's a great... I can, I can get that example, <laughs> being a non-techie. And, yeah, get that example. So, and then where does the interaction with voice come in? Because you mentioned voice in that intro, and sure. I probably get confused <clears throat> myself between the two, maybe. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, voice is just, is, I suppose, is a um, an input-output in the same way as a keyboard and a screen would be. Uh, it's just a different way of doing things. So in the same way that you could interact with Google on your phone, on your laptop, you could also interact with Google Assistant with your voice or, or Alexa or anything else. And so the idea is that you can talk to one of these smart assistants. Uh, they can understand what you want and then give you an answer based on that. Cool. Brilliant. Okay. I set some background and context. I've <laughs> got my I think I've got my head into it now. Uh, so what sectors do you believe could really benefit more from sort of AI going forward? Where's the first kind of innovation coming? So I think, I mean, we, we're seeing it all over the place. There are not that many sectors or industries that aren't affected by it. I think some of the ones that are really interesting is, uh, is healthcare. Yeah. So everything from using AI to analyze x-rays to prescribe the, the right types of drugs also looking at patterns in the trillions of data points that are out there now. For example, Apple Watches. Apple are now the world's biggest watch manufacturer. And that means that anyone who's wearing either an Apple Watch or any of the other smartwatches, is now, um, they're now recording their heart rates and lots of other um, different bits of bio data. And we've never had this before because um, previously, well, the only data that we would get from people's heartbeats and such was generally people lying down in a hospital bed mm. um, or on an ECG. And now there's all these different data points where people are walking around, running around, doing different exercises. And so AI is able to learn from that and start to see patterns. And we're, we're seeing things like um, Apple Watches waking people up in the middle of the night saying you've got a dangerously irregular heartbeat. You need to uh, phone the ambulance straight away. So, you know, there's there's all kinds of wow. cool things that can happen in healthcare. I think retail, you know, the 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 high street has been in danger for a long time, and especially now with the pandemic, when it's yeah. the the whole experience of shopping is not a pleasant one. Um, I think that AI can can really help in terms of maybe even replacing uh, the the kind of the shop assistant that knows you personally, knows what you bought last week, knows what you like, what you don't like, what size you're going to be, and can help you and, and help that experience um, get better manufacturing there's there's lots i mean there there are applications in just about every field okay so actually one of the things i wanted to talk about i was going to talk about it a bit later in the podcast but you've talked about data so it'd be worth us just touching upon that now adam is 
so much of this success of AI seems to depend on data and that collection of data. So is there this strange conflict where many of us want AI to improve the way we live our lives, to live more efficiently, to be more engaging, but at the same time, there's this kind of public scepticism and nervousness, I suppose, about sharing that personal data and letting have these big corporates have the corporate data. I mean, it features in the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, doesn't it? Yeah. So what's your thoughts on that as a problem? You know, how do we get the public to be more trustworthy that they are giving their data and it is going to be looked after? So, I, th- I mean, I, I do think it's a big problem, definitely. And that at its absolute best case scenario, big tech companies are using our data to advertise things to us and sell us things. That's the best thing we've got. But the, the worst is so is so much worse in terms of where it can take us. There, and as you mentioned, the social dilemma, and I've been looking into a lot of this stuff and followed some of the, the mm. founders of the Humane Tech Institute, fascinating people. And they're looking at, they, they talk about the um, the attention economy and the big tech companies. Real role here is to get you in front of a screen for as long as humanly possible. So I looked today to find out and the, the average screen time for a teenager in the UK, six and a half hours a day. It's is jaw dropping. Sorry, I'm not sure <laughs> literally did drop there. It's really, really bad. Wow. And There's a father of two teenage yeah. daughters, wow. Yeah, so so we are as a nation and as the world spending more and more time looking at our screens and the tech companies want to keep us there effectively so they can sell our screen time to advertisers. Yeah. So yeah, again, that's that's bad enough. You know, so as well as there being obvious physical health implications like just too much screen time, your eyes, your neck, no exercise. We've got uh, mental health issues, so anxiety, low self-esteem, depression, isolation. Then on top of that, you've got the actual content that people are consuming. So um, YouTube's sort of internal mission statement is enraged to engage. So the idea that more radical content keeps people on their screens for longer. And so we're not just consuming ads, we're consuming potentially contentious dangerous conspiracy theory type content and fine if it's flat earth that's not really a big deal but then we've got stuff like anti-vaccination we've got which is can be dangerous to ourselves we've got content that creates religious and cultural polarization which can cause real serious problems for other people so you know it's almost impossible to use any of the online platforms without giving this data away and there are so many benefits to ai understanding you better but ultimately, the people running the companies that own the AI might not be as altruistic. So really, I think... It's a real conflict, isn't it? Really it? Is. it really Between is. Between advancements in technology, yeah. making our lives better, easier, you know, more fulfilling in a num- number of yeah. ways and more personalized, mm-hmm. v, the but use of that data what in a dangerous the, manner. Yeah, what is the cost? Yeah. And um, you've done a... I, know, I watched it, actually. Today, you did a great TED Talk, uh, a TEDx event on the echo chamber Mm -hmm. and i think again you probably alluded to it a little bit in that response so tell us about the echo chamber yeah it's funny because i did that almost two years ago and it's feeling even more relevant now than it was then so um the echo chamber is a place where you can find yourself where it feels like you're surrounded by people who share the same opinions that you do and that I think human beings have a natural affinity to be drawn towards people that uh, you know that they might agree with, whether they uh, they have the same kind of uh, religious um, or, or of the same religion, or they have the same opinions, and it could be down to kind of politics or whatever, or you might have the same hobbies. Mm. 
But what we're finding now is these um, sort of social media and digital echo chambers where all you're seeing is the, is your same opinion just kind of bounce back at you. And that just kind of makes you sort of entrench your own opinions more. And believe everybody and believe, thinks yeah, the same the way same, as you. Which yeah. they absolutely do not. And and it's, um, you know, this was, I, I discovered this and it's what made me do the TED Talk was the 2016, um, the, the Brexit referendum. Because yeah. I was convinced, 100% convinced that we would vote to stay. Yeah. And so I just couldn't believe it that there was obviously a lot more people talking about something that I wasn't listening to. So it wasn't just my social feeds. It was the newspapers I read. It was the actual news applications I was looking at. And I was just effectively blocking everything else out. The other kind of converse opinion was being ignored. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and we see communities both online and offline where people only spend time. And we're seeing a lot in the States with the elections there. Mm. Like they are so polarized that, that yeah, you, what, what you get is some um, people don't engage in active debate. They don't change their minds. They don't challenge things, yeah. and they end up getting stuck. Just yeah, more entrenched in their own viewpoints, yeah. which I think is really bad for society. One of the things that hit home was actually it's just a really simple fact was in the TED talk suggestion. You know, listeners go go and listen to it. It's a great talk. Is you talk about just briefly about Winston Churchill, and and you know until 1940 he changed his kind of views on yeah, politics that's right, yeah. he changed his parties because he was in that kind of i suppose age where there was a lot of debate he was at a, an age himself where he was listening to other opinions and eventually you know right or wrong you know he formed his own opinions and led yeah but he'd gone through this period of debate and change yeah, absolutely to form yeah. those opinions and i think just the 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 main thing there was that he actually changed political parties, and that's a big yeah. deal. It's a big <laughs> it deal for politician. Very often, uh, yeah, and he, he, yeah, he turned out and did some spectacular, you know, spectacular. But with things. AI, yeah, or with kind of social media as it is now, would that have been the case? And what exactly? Uh, I think if we're, it's so easy. It's, it's one of these things, and I've seen like uh, the the TED talk, and I've, when I've gone and read some of the comments, so many people just saying, "I had, I just hadn't realised this was there." Because you just, it's just so easy just to think, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm, you know, everybody agrees with me. Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. Yeah, exactly. And and you find that if you have a conversation with with somebody um, who agrees with you, all you end up doing is just kind of just yeah. g'ing each other up. So, yeah, and another thing, and then you just go, well, I haven't gained anything from that at yeah. all. No insight whatsoever. So yeah, the kind of point of the talk is to is to sit, is to be aware of it and to challenge it a little bit and just seek out opposing um opinions yeah Yeah, and listen and just and just challenge your own your own thoughts on things yeah brilliant okay back to the kind of wider subject of ai and i thought it'd be quite good to just bring a practical scenario in adam Mm -hmm. um and you did a project as i understand it with a uh, abbey field which was to address loneliness in the elderly so maybe it'd be a great thing for the listeners to understand a project where AI was implemented and the benefits it brought, because that sort of brings it into reality and the good it can yep, do. Absolutely. So as I was saying before, I think we're living in a world which is um, we're supposedly more connected than ever before, but yet loneliness and anxiety and depression are at all-time highs. And I think part of this this is due to the fact that AI and software is is isolating us because now you can get a lift, you can meet somebody, you can get directions, all without actually speaking to another person. You know, you're, you're very much isolated to your screen. And so you can easily become isolated. And one of the things that we're seeing a lot of is, is much older people, people who are in, in um, retirement living facilities or care homes, really, really isolated. 
you know, for example, they can't phone their grandkids because their grandkids don't pick up the phone mm. because, you know, there's just not in their psyche anymore. They're, they're all about it's messaging. All messaging. Exactly. Yeah. And we had a client called Abbey Fields. So they, um, they own retirement living homes all over the country. And we wanted to find out effectively if using voice technology could, could alleviate loneliness in older people. And so uh, what we did is we went to um, a home in Wessex. Uh, oh, sorry, it's called Wessex House. It's in Westbourne. And we met with a load of the residents and we did it. We actually, in, in order to introduce Alexa and Google Home to them, we, we did a Christmas quiz, but we kind of had Alexa as the quiz master. So once everyone had written all their answers down, then we would ask Alexa the, the question and then Alexa would answer. And some of them kind of song questions and stuff. And we got people, we, we helped them to understand what it could and couldn't do. Okay. Then we set up these smart speakers in individual rooms in, in the home. And then we had a professor from the University of Reading come and do some quality or ask some qualitative questions about their state of loneliness and isolation before, during and after the experiment. And then we left them with the devices and then we came back every few days and we taught them how to do different things. And then at the end, yeah, we kind of came back and interviewed them to find out whether or not, uh, yeah, they were feeling less lonely and less isolated because they actually were speaking to something. Yeah. Because there's lots of studies that say that just physically not speaking can make you feel more lonely. And then where you've got uh, older people, for example, who've got pets and they talk to their pets or they talk to their plants, it's, it's really good for you right. to physically talk yeah. rather than just to be in silence all the time. So, yeah, it was a really fascinating project and we got to know some really interesting people and the results were, were great. I mean, the results pretty much were that uh, it, it was better f- for these people to speak to a device. And we had we had guys cheating on their crosswords using it, and <laughs> getting the horse racing results and stuff. It was really, it was it was very, uh, very rewarding. Fantastic. And in terms of that technology and devices such as Google Home, you know, Alexa, Amazon Alexa, where do you see that technology going? Is there a time when you think, you know, an AI assistant could become a kind of friend, possibly the answer You've answered that in that kind of example, but you know, so that you know, the AI assistant becomes a friend, something you can develop a unique relationship with. I, th- I think definitely. I mean, we've we've already um, anthropomorphized them in terms of Can giving them, <laughs> uh, in terms of giving them names um, and and human voices. Uh, and there's also something called I think it's I think it's Google Assistant that has the the pretty please rule, so you can you can program it to say that. If children speak to it, they have to say please, yeah. please and thank you, or else it won't do what they ask. Which I think is is quite interesting. I think as a parent, I think it's great to encourage children to say please yeah. and not just bark at it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just, it's really interesting because although it's got a human voice, it isn't human. No, it's like saying please to the toaster yeah. or the kettle, which feels a bit strange as well. But uh, I think that when you combine that plus the fact that. Alexa and Google are run by two of the biggest tech companies in the world and they know a lot about us. Yeah, these listening. these devices that are constantly listening, they could know us better than we know ourselves, so they could become our best friends. Wow. Mm. That's quite a scary thought, isn't it? It is, yeah. It can be. <laughs> it's, it's equally exciting. It's, yeah, it's interesting It and has terrifying. kind of yin and yang in it. Yeah, Everything it you say, you, see, you can see some benefits, you can see that, that you know, but you can see that kind of, the corporates gaining the words information kind of. massively yeah yeah and have you got any other examples where you've seen ai make a difference in business into business i think we've been looking at yeah all, all kinds of 
businesses that use AI and they think that everything from kind of your finance packages that are using AI, obviously all of social media is using AI and um, things like uh, Uber and Lyft use yeah. it. I mean, it really is just everywhere. We just don't realise it. Yeah. I mean, and some of it, you know, some of it's more complex than others. There's There's lots of people kind of arguing about whether or not true what they call, uh, I think it's called AGI, which is um, like artificial general intelligence, which is effectively uh, an AI that could outthink a human being yeah. as opposed to very specific AI. For example, the program that beat Kasparov at chess. Yeah. You know, it was amazing at chess, but wouldn't be able to do anything else. So it's it's going to be interesting to see where it goes in the next sort of 10 to 20 years. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, is there that point in time where I think they call it singularity, isn't it? Where... Man and machine become kind of indistinguishable. That's kind of, you know, it's being talked about, isn't it? Yeah. It's predicted that might happen around 2045, I think. Yeah. So what excites you about that idea of singularity and what maybe some reservations do you have about it? Well, there, I mean, there are so many potential advantages to sort of truly augmented humans. I mean, we're, we're effectively augmented right now because very few people will leave the house without their smartphone. People yeah. will turn around and go home and get their phone. So it's not physically attached to us, but yeah. it might as well be. So we're kind of already there. And then we've got Elon Musk who's talking about his neural net. Um, and he's already tried it, putting like a chip inside a pig's brain. And this is potentially the future for human beings. There are so many potential advantages to, to people with physical or mental uh, diseases or degenerative diseases, heart conditions. Lots of things can be fixed. We've seen glasses that have been designed that can give um, a blind person an audio description of everything that's happening in the world, can show them the expressions on people's, or tell them the expressions on people's faces. So actually, if a blind person's telling a joke, like, is it landing? Are they smiling or not? Um, You know, in its simplest forms. So those kinds of things, amazing. Cars that can drive themselves, machines that know what you want to do, buy, eat before you. I mean, all that could be really fantastic. They're great examples of how life could be made better. Yeah. Certainly for those with disabilities. Absolutely. As you say, yeah. you know, it brings them into the world and it engages them with the world. And that, and that could be amazing, but we could also see the kind of, the sort of death of freedom, big tech companies controlling us all, these kind of neuro zombies. I mean, it's bad enough if you look around, a lot of people are so yeah. consumed by their phones. And if you imagine that's in your head, yeah. what chance is anyone going to have and also the concept of people being hacked, yeah. cars being hacked. There are so many potentially nefarious ways that it could go as well. Yeah, but you clearly believe in it because you repositioned your agency around. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, because I believe that that technology is only one part of it, and, and a lot of the time, the, the stuff that I've talked about in terms of the technology companies, you know, harvesting our data and want to, you know, just effectively make us slaves to them to our phones. That's not AI's fault. That's no. just a, that's the that's the the humans and the shareholders running those big companies. Yeah, uh, I think that there are still um, people who are truly altruistic out there who can use these tools for for the betterment of mankind. Yeah, for the greater good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose I don't really want the podcast to be about this, but we've touched on it a few times, so we should probably talk about you know the most powerful tech companies. Do you think there's going to be a time when they are more strongly regulated, or are we past that point of no return? I mean, I think it's a really good question. And I heard someone talk about this recently and they said, imagine if if the only companies in the world who understood the, the depth of problems of oil pollution was BP and SO. Yeah. And then imagine that we trusted them and tasked them to fix it. 
Now, it's not really in their interest, those companies' interests, to fix those problems because yeah. they've done very, very well out of, the, out of their business. And that's effectively what we're doing with tech is we're saying, well, you're, you're the only ones who are really aware of how much time people are spending um, looking at certain types of content and what the algorithms are really doing and how they are suggesting certain content to people. So you need to, you need to go and fix it. And it's, again, it's just not really in their interests. It's not in YouTube's interest to fix an algorithm that gets people to spend more and more time on their platform, even if it means that they are watching, you know, content which is really, you know, really bad. Damaging. To yeah, you. and damaging. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a good example is kind of with kids. Even now, there are lots of very strict rules about what you can and can't advertise on kids' TV channels and, and have been ever since, the, uh, you know, the Saturday morning TV that you and I remember. Yeah. There's no such rules on YouTube. So we have absolutely no control over the types of ads yeah. all the time. You know, we've all been down that YouTube rabbit hole as well. Yeah. But if you're a seven or eight-year-old on YouTube, we've got no control over that whatsoever. So I don't, yeah, so I don't think it's in the tech company's interest to regulate it. So I think what we really need to do is, is make it so that government can do that. But as we saw recently when Zuckerberg was in front of Congress, they don't understand. And yeah. in fact, and it, was, it was really worrying to see some of these senators questioning Zuckerberg because they didn't have a clue. Well, they're in their 60s, 70s. And they and were, they're not, yeah, yeah, they didn't have... And they were talking, it, are they? Yeah, they were talking about Facebook. And for most of us, Facebook's been around for what, 15 plus years, yeah. we get we get the concept of it and they didn't even understand it. But I don't think we can just say government will never understand it. I think we need to make sure that there are people within government who do understand it. Yeah. And we need to raise awareness of these issues so that we can do something about yeah. it to regulate and, it. And therefore the greater good thrives and yeah, absolutely. the data harvesting, etc. gets controlled in yeah. some way, shape or form. I hope so, yeah. It's interesting, that advert point is an interesting guy. You might have seen some of his contact called Mike Winnett, is very much around the entrepreneur. So all of these get-rich-quick schemes yeah. and the kind of anti that and telling people, you know, go do it properly, go start a business. That, you know, don't fall in the trap of these kind of con, mm -hmm. you know, the foreign exchange stuff, the property trading stuff. But you watch any of his content on YouTube and it's interspersed with adverts selling the exact thing really? that he's anti. And it's just like, well, how does that happen? But, he, but he's got no control over that. No. And it's just really kind of, it was just, it was one of those bizarre moments when I was watching it the other day. Well, see, yeah, the, the, those algorithms just effectively train themselves to show people the content that they're most likely to watch. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes it's completely the opposite thing that you would want um, people yeah. to, to watch. Watch yeah. when you're watching your content that you're putting out there. Yeah. I suppose on your website, you talk a lot about empathy-driven businesses. And I'm quite intrigued to talk to you about what you mean by that and perhaps what role does that does AI play in that, Adam? So, yeah, we call ourselves the, uh, the human tech agency. And the idea is that if you, can, if you can create a better connection with people, then you've got a better way of, I suppose, getting your message out there and, and whether, whether you're trying to sell a service or product or get people yeah. to join an organization, you know, it makes... It, it's really important to do that. We have a kind of ethos which is called know thy user. And we say, you know, we don't put pen to paper or finger to keyboard until we truly understand our customers. And really it's about sort of walking a mile in their shoes, understanding what motivates them. It's a long time there's been a sort of traditional thing with web um, agencies where they would 
create these user personas and they'll say, right, well, um, Julie, she's 35 and she lives in Essex and she has this job yeah. and it's, it's so very, very specific. Uh, whereas what we look at is, is actually what motivates someone because actually what motivates someone could link them regardless of gender or, um, uh, religion or race yeah, or anything demographics else. Demographics don't. Doesn't look. really matter. Um, so a good example of this is, um, when we saw like the big climate change protests in London yeah. and you see, middle-aged um women and you see you know young much younger people different ages different races all have a very very key motivation which is they're trying to save the planet so uh, what we try to look at is what motivates people to be where they are what are they actually trying to do but then also how do they feel when they're uh, on a particular website um and and there are lots of great tools that we can use to understand those things so we can start to understand uh, how people feel and um, what they're likely to, what content they're likely to read or click on and what journeys they're going to take before they are ready to say, for example, buy a product. Okay, great. And I suppose, do you think the websites websites will die? Do you think voice will take over? So, I mean, back in 2017, I think when I came back from Silicon Valley, I told my team of 40 plus web developers that websites were dead. Okay. It was, you, know, in <laughs> you can hear the pin drop, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. In hindsight, not the best message. And and then over the last couple of years, I've kind of used it as a as a good way to certainly to start a conversation. Yeah. But no, I don't think they're going to go anywhere. I think they will change and evolve as they already have. Um, but I think there will always be websites of, of some description. But I think whether you're a business owner or you're in marketing or digital, you just need to be aware of some of the other tools that are out there. And the other, effectively, the other places that your audiences are. I think you know chat uh, is a big is a big thing. So yeah. whether that's a chat bot or if it's WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, people spend a lot of time there. Yeah. Uh, definitely voice. Um, we've been looking a lot over the last couple of years, working with Google Assistant, their UK team on voice search. And I would say, I mean, I've been a big advocate of voice and voice search for the last few years, but I don't think it's got as big as I was expecting, or even even people like Google and Amazon yeah. hasn't quite. I still think it will, but it's it's slower than I thought. And I think there's a few reasons behind that. But uh, I think with voice search, any business needs to be starting to think in, or needs to start thinking about a voice search strategy. Okay. Because if you look at the way that people are just, not just searching, but also you know, people are using their voice to control their their houses, their, their phones themselves, you know, turn the lights on and off, that sort of thing. We're seeing people send uh, WhatsApp voice notes, and it makes sense because we can type about on average 40 words per minute, yeah. but we can speak about 140 words per minute. So it makes sense that if you can just talk to your device and search for something that you would do. Uh, but when people do search in that way, those searches are much more verbose. So an example I normally give is something like if you're, t if you're looking for football boots, you might just search the words football boots on your phone. Uh, whereas if you're speaking, you might say, what football boots does Lionel Messi, you know, when he's training for Barcelona? So the websites that are trying to capture those searches and sell those football boots have to be thinking about optimizing their sites for those types of searches. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because when you do time, you put mm. most yeah, crudest, you simplest. Yeah, you, e you either do that or you use the autocorrect. Yeah. But then the autocorrect always seems to know what you're thinking. It does. <laughs> but does it or do you just kind of see it and think, yep, yeah, okay, that's I'm, I'm going to go with that. It's, you know, it's almost like there is a, an autocorrect everywhere not just in your emails ai in play yeah <laughs> yeah so so you do think that voice search will you know come more to the fore clearly i, I think so for certain so. yeah i think for certain um for certain things 
even if it's just the beginning of a journey. I think if yeah. you were sat in your kitchen, you might you might be pondering, uh, I don't know, how much does it cost to fly to Fiji? Yeah. Now, you're not going to book your flight and your hotel to Fiji with just your voice. No. But it's that first point, and then it could be that, that Google comes back and says, um, well, you know, these are the, some of the websites that fly to Fiji from the, your closest airport. Yeah. Would you like to see some more information? So, so it could just be that beginning. So as business owners, we need to be thinking more about how people would search using uh, voice yeah, at what for point? Our services or products. Yeah, and then yeah, absolutely. Is is at what point during the journey would they would they search via voice and then being able to join everything up and you know that yeah. people have been talking about single customer view for years and years and just try to have the technology in place so that you can connect those various yeah. um, searches together. And do you think it's at right now where we stand today more relevant for those businesses that are sort of B to C rather than B to B, or do you think it that is that? It's it's difficult to know, uh, Warren, because you know Google and Amazon just don't release any data whatsoever about what people are searching yeah. for. It's their data, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so it's very difficult to know what people are searching for. I mean, if you ask pretty much anyone who's got a smart speaker, they will use it for the same thing, which is uh, timers music yeah. um you know and and the odd um, you know maybe reminders people aren't using them really that often for complex yeah. searches but i just think that certainly if you look at 13 to 17 year olds who are using voice all the yeah. time as those kids get older and older we will see more yeah, and more i of hear it. my daughters talking to siri quite often and i'm like oh yeah <laughs> yeah uh, yeah my it's... my daughter's just saying hey google play frozen yeah. over and over and over again <laughs> so she could sing to it yeah it was good fun <laughs> brilliant i'm quite interested in your trip to silicon valley because you know one of the things that people say that you should do more as us as business owners is actually spend time out of your business and go and see what's happening in the world and it clearly changed your view Massively, your industry yeah. yeah it really did and I think at the time I was speaking to someone, I was a member of a kind of, um, you know, like a business owners group. I was talking about this stuff and, and the guy just said, where's the epicenter of all this? And I said, well, it's, yeah, it's California, it's San Francisco. And he said, well, why don't you go there? I thought, it's a pretty good idea, actually. Why don't I go there? And then, yeah. and then I was going to Vegas anyway, so it, it really didn't really cost very much money. And within about four weeks, I had, I had a really packed schedule. Just yeah. using Eventbrite and Facebook and LinkedIn, asking people who should I meet when I'm out there, where should I go, what should I, you know, and very very quickly I was going to three or four events every single day. Wow. Um, and at the time it was good, but bear in mind that's three years ago. The the mileage I've got out of it in terms of I've got stuff to talk about, and it's changed the way that it's changed the way I think. It's changed the way that I um, run the business. Yes, yeah, amazing. And, yeah. and and talking about it now makes me think that I probably need to go back out there because it, it's yeah. been three years. And in a world that moves so It moves fast, very, very fast. Yeah. In your yeah. in technology and your kind of industry. Yeah. So how's your team adapted to the changes and, and how have you got them up to speed with the changing this technology so quickly? I think, I think as I said before, when I kind of mentioned that websites were dead, that, yeah, that didn't go down too well. <laughs> and and to be fair, some members of the team did did in fact leave. Um, but the ones who stayed really embraced it. When you're saying to people, stop thinking about designing with pixels and start thinking about designing conversations, it is like a seismic shift. Mm. But it's really exciting. And so yeah, the, the 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 developers as well as the account managers and project managers really just 
grabbed grabbed it and 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 ran with it um, and we learned very quickly some of the science of designing conversation for example for chatbots or for voice skills i think i probably hassle my team quite a lot to watch various ted talks and read books and and listen to um uh, podcasts but i suppose what i'm doing is kind of filtering a lot of that stuff out because a lot of people don't have time or the interest to really delve deep into it so what I try and do is just, you know, on a on a weekly basis, I give some kind of talk to the guys about what things I found to be really exciting. I was quite adamant that everyone watched The Social Dilemma, though, because I just yeah. said it's an hour and a half and it will really kind of change the way that you think about yeah, social and your phone and everything else. Yeah, definitely. I did it from me, definitely. I deleted Facebook off my phone. A lot of people have done the same. Stop, the, stop notifications. Or, yeah, it's mm. just like, wow. Yeah, so yeah, listeners, if you haven't watched it, do watch the Social uh, Dilemma on Netflix. It's an amazing 90 mm. minutes. Just yeah, it is. gets you thinking a bit differently and it's kind of echoes the echo chamber kind of piece of thought that you had those that couple of years ago. Really. Yeah. I suppose I suppose tech does move though rapid, so rapidly, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and us as a coaching and a development and a business community, businesses evolve, you know, it's kind of scary to think where it's going and what's it doing. But as a business owner, day in, day out, with the pandemic out there and everything else that you have to do, how can a business owner kind of keep up to date with the changes in technology and make sure they're not lagging behind? I think there's a reason that the big successful companies out there, and I'm not talking about the big tech companies, but actually, I don't know, let's say Uber or let's say um, Boohoo or Ace or yeah. someone like that, they call they all have the same kind of cliche, which is we're not a clothes company, we're a tech company. We're not a taxi company, we're a tech company. And it is a bit of a cliche, but the the really smart ones are are really embracing technology all the time. So they build all of their kind of operational systems on really scalable cloud based tech, rather than. And when I say that cloud based, I mean. Uh, you know, not installing your accounting packages on physically on people's yeah. machines, especially nowadays when people have to be able to work remotely. And that way, and it, if you're working with the the the, the, the great sort of te- uh, software providers, then those systems they all integrate really nicely with each other. You know, as a as a web as you know, as an agency that still builds websites, I shouldn't say this really, but you can build a website pretty easily. You don't have to spend lots and lots of money if it is a relatively simple site. If it's a brochure type, yeah, site, if it's a brochure it's a site. Interaction, but yeah. even an e-commerce site, yeah, with a bit of nous and a couple of weekends, you know, you using something like Squarespace um, yeah. or Shopify, you can do pretty well. And then all of those can fully integrate with your, your accountancy and invoicing packages and CRM and um, uh, the systems you're going to use to ship all your products and everything else. So I think that any business out there needs to just make sure that all those systems they've got are as, are as up-to-date as possible and that are, that are definitely our cloud-based. And that's why we see the end or, or the very close demise of someone like Debenhams, mm. who's computer stock systems are still black screens with green writing yeah. the cost and the complexity of upgrading those systems is just it's just too much so they just get stuck and then their websites can't be updated as quickly and then when you compare it to someone like asos or even more so someone like uh, boohoo or misguided yeah. they are lightning fast um, they're able to completely shift and pivot and change the way that they work and the those are the companies that do really well now is yeah. they they are kind of they're tech companies that 
provide something else on the side. Provide a product or a service. You're right. And the big unicorns we can all think about, but even, you know, we can probably all think about businesses that we know in our local area that are thriving, succeeding and growing. Yep, absolutely. But they're all very much tech focused on there. Or they're using technology smart in what they do. Yeah, it's a bit, the adage is, you know, just focus on what you're good on. Uh, Good on, good at even. Uh, I know that even when we set up in 2009, uh, and I had a, I had an IT background. I was an IT manager at one point, and um, you know, with a, we, you know, we used to server rooms and all that sort of thing. But the first thing we did is we said, well, we're get, everything's going to be cloud based. Even back in two thousand nine, Gmail, G Drive, or Dropbox, whatever. Nothing uh, we could access everything from everywhere. But yeah, we thought we don't need an IT manager to manage our emails and all that kind of thing. Just let those companies do do it all for you, so you can focus on what you're best at doing. Brilliant. So where next for Greenwood Campbell? Then? Um, we're going to continue to learn about the latest technology so that we can articulate that uh, and, and best advise our clients on how to do it. I want to continue to uh, to work with organizations that improve people's lives. So whether it's Abbeyfield or the RNLI, it's, it's really exciting for myself and for the team to use our tech expertise yeah, to, to make a bit of a difference in the world. Fantastic. I always end with a really simple question is what does success mean to you? God, I think it's, it's really, I think my definition has changed massively, especially through lockdown, because I was spending two or three days every single week going to London, events, lunches, meeting with colleagues and partners and everything else. And when lockdown happened and that all stopped, I mean, don't get me wrong, like any business owner, I was worried the first month or so. And then we were lucky that we're in a uh, an industry where tech the the stuff that we do is really needed now it's really relevant so we've 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 been fine in that respect and the the team have all worked really adapted really well to working from home but um for me i suddenly thought wow i've got some extra time to spend with my family time to exercise time to just actually just not be just going at it all the time and i thought you know i could probably get used to this um so i think success now is not necessarily about having the biggest agency and the most people working for me and everything else it's it's having a little bit more free time to do some of the things that i really love doing cool a more balanced approach absolutely yeah. brilliant thank you for being on the podcast Adam. if people want to learn more about you and about the agency where can they go they can go to greenwoodcampbell.com they can ask google about greenwood campbell <laughs> um uh, or you could search for adam greenwood challenge the echo chamber perfect Thank you, Adam. You've been a great guest on the Evolved to Succeed podcast. Thank you. Wow. As a result of that conversation, I don't know whether to be scared or excited about the future. Whether you like it or not, technology has become an inevitable part of our lives and will continue to be an unstoppable and rapidly advancing force in the world. I really admire Adam's approach in that he's really focusing on ways that tech can benefit humans, change lives for the better, and instead of isolating us, make us feel less alone. I also think it's vital that as a business owner, no matter what your industry, you make an effort to develop even a basic understanding of how data and algorithms and things like AI work. Because in this fast-paced tech landscape, it's increasingly easy to get left behind, and it's also therefore certainly spells trouble for many businesses. I also love the idea that Adam took time out of his business to see what was happening within his industry and came back and applied it to the future direction 
of Greenwood Campbell. So if you want further access to insightful content, details of our webinars, events when we can hold them, and further inspiration, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and register for free to get access to the Evolve community. On the website, you'll also see details of the co-working space that we're launching in Ashley Cross in Paul, and details of the funded peer group programs that we're running in conjunction with Dorset and EP. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and if so, please do rate, review, and subscribe to future episodes. I look forward to you joining me again next week. Thank you for listening.